we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the book of Jude. We're almost done, and this is strong stuff tonight. I believe that this is the Word of God. Amen? And so we're going to ask God to speak and not only here, but as it goes out across the country on radio, let's believe God. Father, as we come to this uh, powerful letter, we ask you to speak to us tonight. Lord, we're in a generation that is degenerate, perverted, lost, confused, in such dire need of truth. And we ask you, Lord, tonight to help us to minister your truth because we used to be the same thing. And you plucked us out of our lostness, Lord, and out of the pit. And we're asking you to use this word tonight, not only to build up our faith, but to touch a lost and a dying world. Can you pray with me, church, and say, Lord, use this word to reach many, many people in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good. You better listen. Amen. Uh, all right. Tonight we're going to talk about the uh, powerful part of Judas. It's so strong. Uh, but you know, the word is strong. And if you teach it, uh, like you, like it's written, it's going to cut, it's going to convict, uh, it's going to speak, it's going to build you, uh, it's going to build me. And uh, I told you, I think recently, I've never had anybody, I, rarely does anybody ever say to me, Pastor Jeff, you're so eloquent. No, I don't ever hear that. Here's what I hear. Thank you for staying with the word. Now that I hear. All right. Now, we're going to talk tonight about apostates, because Jude does. This is not my choice. Jude does. And the judgment that's coming on apostates, and I'm going to tell you what an apostate is. But the last time, if you were here with me, we, you, we ended up uh, looking at three men mentioned by Jude. And they were Cain and Balaam and Korah. And they're used as illustrations of modern-day apostasy. And what exactly it attacks. Now, remember, Jude started writing this letter saying, I was going to write you about our common salvation. He has something totally different in his mind when he sat down to write this word. And then the Holy Spirit changed him. And he, he says it at the first couple of verses. I was going to write to you about this, but I've got to talk to you now about that. Not our common salvation but the attack against the faith. How the faith, once delivered to the saints, is under attack. Now I ask you, church, is, is the faith, once delivered to the saints, under attack in our day? Come on, everybody. Is it under attack? Have you ever seen it under such a concerted, laser-like attack? Have you? In America? I haven't. So Jude is going to approach this topic of uh, the attack against the faith, our need to stand up for and contend for, wrestle for, fight for, spiritually speaking, the real faith once delivered to the saints. 
and he's going he's gonna to draw parallels and make examples and use illustrations. So Cain represented apostasy's, apostasy's attack on the salvation of God. Because what did Cain do? He said, I'm going to come to God my way. And that's one way our faith is under attack. People saying, oh, it can't be just one way. There's many ways to God. But that's, that's the doctrine of Cain. There's not many ways. All right? Then Balaam. I talked about Balaam Sunday and last Wednesday. He represents apostasy's attack on the sovereignty of God. Korah represents apostasy's attack on the service of God. Because Korah attacked the servants of God and what God had called them to, to undermine it. And Jude's message is, as Korah tried to undermine the ministry of God through his chosen servants, so will apostates do in the last days. They will undermine the faith. They will attack the faith. Now, the the reason this whole issue of contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, it means once for all. Never needs to be delivered again. It's once for all delivered to the saints. Matters so much to Jude and the other apostles, and it should to us as well, because apostasy directly attacks the person and the work of Jesus. Apostasy undermines, belittles, steals from, um, covertly and overtly seeks to pull down the faith that saves you. The faith that will get you to heaven. The faith that Jesus came to establish. It damns souls to eternal lostness and destroys the pillars of truth upon which the church stands. So apostasy is a big deal. And and let me ask you this question. Are Are we seeing some apostasy around us these days? Oh, you better know it. Now, understanding... Why Jude was all worked up about that? I started to write you one thing, but I'm going to write to you about apostasy. Why it mattered, why he, he, he levels this fierce attack against the apostates themselves and their false message. Because if they get away with it, people will go to an eternal hell listening to it. Remember, apostasy and backsliding are two different things. What's the difference Jeff, I'm glad you asked. A a backslider is a genuine believer who uh, slowly, they stop reading their Bibles, they uh, stop talking about Jesus, they stop praying, they get out of church, they drift. Um, They generally get caught up in some kind of a sin and they slide back, they backslide. See, we ought to always be front sliding, right? We ought to be going forward at all times. But the backslider backslides. I want to live my life front sliding. Amen? So that's a backslider. And the thing about it is uh, the road to restoration is always open for them. God says in Hosea, I will heal their backsliding if they come back to me and repent. Amen? Isn't that good? I will love them freely. So backsliders can always come back. Backsliders can come back. They just got to repent and admit it, fess up to, to what they're doing, and let the Lord forgive them and bring them back home. 
the prodigal son was a backslider. Okay? It says when he came to himself, and that means he, he woke up one day and said, what in the world am I doing? How did I get in this pig pen eating pig's food when my father's house has T-bones? And I could be there where, where I, I could have everything that I ever needed. But here I am, I'm eating pig's food and I'm surrounded by slop, which is where you always end up when you backslide. So here's the deal. Apostasy is different. Apostasy is a total renunciation of the faith. I want nothing to do with Jesus. I want nothing to do with the shed blood of Christ. I want nothing to do with any of it. I renounce it. I denounce it. I walk away from it. I eschew it. I throw it from me. I want nothing to do with it. Apostasy. The Bible says, the Living Bible puts it this way. Uh, Well, first of all, let me read it to you out of New King James. Paul says, here's an apostate. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power that would save them. Okay. So the apostate, I believe, has never been saved. They've been, they've walked around the periphery of the things of God. They know about it. They might even be able to teach a Sunday school, but they've never really come to Christ and been saved. That's the apostate. Backslider is saved. The apostate, I don't believe, has ever been saved. Living Bible says they will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. So they are the terrors growing up next to the wheat. And there's all kinds of terrors every week in church. Now, I'm not talking about you. You're here on a Wednesday night when it's 130 out. So you got to mean business. But, but the thing is, um, the apostate comes to church. They come for social reasons. They, they, they come because they just are lonely. Or they may like the music. They may like uh, something about the church itself. But their tares growing up next to the wheat. And Jesus said, you got to let them grow up together. And he will separate them when he comes back to judge. These are the types of people Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. Notice, pneuma, spirits, demonic personalities. They will follow deceptive personalities, demons, teachings that come from demons. A lot of people don't realize demons teach. Satan teaches. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. So there you go. Apostates leave the true faith of which they were never truly a part and they follow demonic teaching and in turn, here's the dangerous thing, they teach others the same. And these are the targets of Jude's letter. This is who he's targeting. This is who he wants God's people to understand. That there's teachers out there in church settings teaching things that demons teach. They may say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, kumbaya. They got all the Christian speak, but they're not living it and they've never been truly saved. And, And some of them end up behind pulpits or in Sunday school classes or some other context teaching Christians nuances and things that are not true about the Christian faith. 
and they lead astray. So Jesus says, I don't want you folks, you Christians, to be fooled by this. I want you to discern it and know it and avoid it. So we're going to pick up at verse 12 where Jude paints the apostates in really unflattering and powerful terms. Here's what he calls them. First of all, he doesn't pull any punches. He is not politically correct here. All right? Here's what he says. These are spots in your love feast. How many of you would love to be called a spot? Okay? These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves. Now what he's describing here is the infiltration of false teachers among you. In Bible times, it was a sign and a bond of friendship and fellowship to sit at a table and eat together. Christians love to eat. You want to get a good crowd, serve food, right? And Jude is showing the devious nature of the apostates of his time. Because what were they doing? They attended the church's love feasts, the potlucks, okay? When food is served, they, they, they attended. They sat down to, with them. They ate with them. And all the while undermining and betraying the faith they know the Christians hold to. The word spots can be translated hidden rocks. And it pictures a, a rock or a dangerous reef hidden just below the waves that cause a shipwreck. So the apostates shipwreck the lives of the gullible because the false teachings are the rocks underneath the water the ship runs into, doesn't see coming, and it sinks. Jude points out their arrogance by saying they have no fear. They have no fear. Yet they, they feast with you without fear. There's no fear of God, no fear of judgment, no fear of discovery. They do not have a fear of God because they don't believe in the God that we do. Now, see, all they had was the love feast. But here's what we have. We have social media. We have TV. We have radio. We have so many different ways false teachers can infiltrate your world. And they are rocks underneath your life. And if you don't discern it, you hit them and they mess with your faith. Confuse you. Trip you up. They even go so far as to pass themselves off as pastors or shepherds of the flock. Oh, yeah. But their goal is to undermine and destroy the faith once delivered to the saints because they don't hold to that. They don't hold to the faith once delivered to the saints. No, that's not what they're about. Jude says, in summary, they are confident imposters, deceivers of the first order. Remember what Paul said, angels of light. They come to you as a light bearer, you know, somebody that you can trust. But if you don't know the word of God, they're a rock underneath the water and the ship of your faith can strike it and be in real trouble. Now, next, Jude uses four really striking metaphors to describe them. Uh, His metaphors are going to explain why the followers of these apostates always end up, listen carefully to me, they end up disappointed, disillusioned, and distressed. Verse 12, the second half. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. How many of you would love to see 
some nice rain clouds out there these days. A drop in about 20 degrees and some great rain clouds, right? But what would you think about dark rain clouds gathering overhead, wind starts to blow, you start thinking, all right, we're going to get the creeks filled back up again, the lakes filled back, the ponds filled again, and not one drop falls out of those clouds. And you're looking and you're looking, the starving animals are looking, the thirsty animals, we need water, we need water, but it never comes. He says, that's your picture of the false teaching apostates. They promise you water, but there's no water. They don't deliver. You end up disappointed, disillusioned, and distressed when you live out what they've taught and it doesn't deliver. See, if I teach you rightly the word of God, it's going to deliver every time. Uh, my, my word will do. God says it'll do what it's sent forth to accomplish. It'll do. It'll, it'll act. It'll come through because it's true. But if I teach you fake stuff and you live on it and you practice it and it doesn't deliver, then here's what you do. You go, well, maybe Christianity is not real. Maybe I'm just messing around on the wrong thing. Maybe I need to become a Buddhist or something else. Okay. That's the problem. So Jude says that while to others, the false teachers appear to be clouds bringing rain of spiritual refreshing. Oh, they got a great revelation, a new revelation. They got it going on. They're full of charisma. I love them. They soon discover the apostates bring no rain. Their message is bereft of truth and it's bereft of God's blessing. But it takes time for you and I to find that out. In the meantime, they got your money. Are y'all with me? I'm going to let that land all on its own and I'm going to go on now. Here's the deal. They are a sham. Driven, says Jude, by uncertain winds. They don't know where they're they don't. They're they're not stable. They're not anchored in spiritual stability. Uh, Their message never saves, satisfies, or sanctifies. It deceives, disillusions, and destroys. Now the next metaphor he uses is late autumn trees. Boy, these are so graphic. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So here's the apostates now. They don't deliver. And here's what they are. The expression without fruit, or as the King James says, whose fruit withereth, refers to trees that bear no fruit at the time when fruit is in season. They don't deliver. When they should manifest the blessing of fruitfulness, there's nothing. This is why Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits or the lack thereof. Jude concurs. They are also twice dead. Not only are they born spiritually dead, like all of us, we're all born spiritually dead. We need to be born again. They're born, but they, they die twice. When they're offered eternal life through Jesus Christ, they spurn it. They're twice dead. Jews says they'll be plucked up by the roots. There's no hope for them. They're going to be plucked up by the roots. They're not only dead, but they're doomed. Remember Jesus' words, every plant my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. Jude puts it plucked up. 
by the roots. There's a day of judgment coming, everybody. There is a day of judgment coming. Now next comes a metaphor uh, that is also very graphic. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. How many of you get the idea that Jude is not a fan of these people? You get the idea, right? I'm just reading to you the Bible. This is the Bible. Raging waves of the sea. You know what it means? They're dangerous. Raging waves leave sunken ships in their wake. Raging waves. Raging waves destroy whole towns. We've seen whole towns destroyed by raging waves in a bad storm, hurricane. Uh, Terrible storms. Apostates are dangerous like raging waves. I have seen the raging waves of false teaching sweep across churches and ruin them. I have. I've been around long enough to see that. Uh, I've seen raging waves of false prophets, false teaching, sweep across the whole country and leave all kinds of devastation in, in its wake. They foam out their own shame, Jude says. The word he uses occurs only here in the whole Bible. And it comes from a root word meaning to foam at the mouth like a rabid dog. They foam at the mouth like a rabid dog, spiritually speaking. They're teaching rabid stuff. Can you all take one more metaphor? Okay. All right, here we go. Now we come to the last one. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wandering stars. Now this, this talks about the eternal doom of the apostate. And I don't get anything out of saying that. I don't get anything out of seeing anybody go to eternal doom. That's why we witness all the time and offer the true gospel of Christ all the time because it alone can save you. Jesus saves through that gospel. But it's talking about the eternal doom of the apostate. He likens them to wandering stars. Now, in the natural, all stars move. All of them. Our own sun is a moving star. You know, our sun is moving. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it revolves around the earth. I'm not going there. So don't, don't let me scare you there. Uh, but here's the thing. Our sun is moving. Uh, it's located around. Now, here's some numbers that will blow your mind. Our sun is located about 30,000 light years from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, it is one of a cluster of some 100 billion stars that inhabit this corner of space. Staggering. You know what's more staggering? God's named them all. How do you name them all? But God's named them all. So catch this, everybody. A little bit of space facts here. The whole galaxy, some 600 million billion miles of stars. I'm going to say it again. Six million billion, 600 million billion miles of stars. I got to say that one more time. 600 million billion miles of stars are revolving around a center. And although it's traveling through space at an inconceivable speed, our sun will complete its own orbit about every 200 million years. 
That make you feel about this big? You thought you were important. Did you hear that? Now watch this. When God created the stars, he appointed, he appointed their courses. How great is our God? Okay. 600 million billion miles of stars just in our corner of the universe that we know anything about. He appointed them, gave them their names and counted them, says Psalms 147 verse 4. He counted them. And he knows the hairs on your head, when you were born, when you're going to die, what you're thinking, what you're doing, how you're living, what you believe, what you don't believe, and how he intends to use you for his glory. It's just awesome. So much so, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. You think? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. It's God's handiwork. You think all of that came to pass from a big bang? No. And the Bible says, those stars are for signs and for seasons. But Jude is concerned about those stars. They are orderly stars. Uh, obeying God's decrees as they swing on their ordained way around his throne. Jews interested in what he calls the wandering stars. The apostates are like wandering stars with no ordered course. They are not in subjection to the God of creation. They are out of order. They are in rebellion. They are against him and going their own way. They're wandering stars. They're more like shooting stars that appear briefly and brightly in the night sky and quickly disappear into the black darkness of space. And total darkness is going to be their doom. Now next, Jude is given a flash of revelation by the Holy Spirit, now found anywhere else in the Bible. You won't get this anywhere else in Scripture. Verse 14, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, these apostates saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Verse 14, again, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these apostates. And he said, The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Meaning what? He's coming to judge. Now let me quickly mention Enoch. Enoch was a prophet in biblical times. He was the seventh descendant of Adam. He was way back in the ancient garden. Enoch. So he's very close to the beginning of time as we know it, Enoch. He named his son Methuselah, whose name means when he dies, it shall come. Methuselah, when he dies, it shall come. Methuselah was the human hourglass of God. As each birthday of his 969, the oldest living man in the history of the world, 969 years, as every birthday went by, the judgment of the great flood grew nearer. Because when he was named Methuselah, God was saying, when he dies, it, my judgment, the great flood will come. When he dies, it shall come. This same Enoch, the father of Methuselah, saw the coming of the Lord thousands of years before the event. And, uh, it points to the rapture of the church happening prior to this. Before the Lord comes, 
with his saints, he will come for his saints. Amen. All right. And Enoch predicts why he's coming. This really matters, man. I wish I could. Well, I kind of wish I could be on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and all the rest and say what I'm about to say to warn them in love of what is coming. To warn them in love. Enoch predicts, why is Jesus coming back with his saints? To execute judgment on all. Verse 15, first half of 15. He's coming to judge the world. I want everybody to say with me, Jesus is coming to judge the world. Now that's not real popular here these days, is it? We want, we want somebody telling us God's going to make us rich and give us big houses and uh, we can have whatever we say and use little formulas and, and all of this. But let's get back to what the Bible really teaches and preaches. That there is a judgment coming. And why are we so keen on preaching the gospel? Because there's a judgment coming. All right? And... Enoch says, the Lord's going to return to judge the world. He's coming to judge the whole world. By the way, we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus is going to be the judge. He's the one sitting on the great white throne. He will be the judge. He told his disciples, God has committed all judgment to his son. That includes several judgments, starting with the church at the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3 where our works will be tried and we get rewards or not for how we've lived our life as Christians. But then at his second coming, he's going to be judged. He will judge the nations when he returns in the second advent. Matthew 25, 31 to 46, you can read it. This judgment is going to take place in the Valley of Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem and it's going to determine who will be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom. He's going to judge all the nations. All the nations are going to be called before Jesus. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are going to go into the millennium. The goats, not so much. And this is the judgment to which the apostates are going to be summoned when Christ returns to judge the nations. And look at one reason why Jesus returns. This verse that I'm about to read uh, is so sobering to me. So watch what he says. Jude says, here's why he's coming. To convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And listen to this. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus is going to come and set things straight. Catch that? To convict the ungodly of all the deeds they did that were ungodly, that they committed in an ungodly fashion, and of all the harsh things they said about him. Why is that sobering to me? Well, the word ungodly is from a Greek word, and one of the meanings is to act disrespectfully or irreverently toward what should be regarded as sacred. That's one of the meanings of ungodly. The apostates and the ungodly of our time and times past care nothing for what is sacred. Have you noticed that people don't care about the sacred anymore? How the sacred is just fading away. People, people have no respect. 
I mean, they're walking into churches and blowing people away. They're walking into churches and just shooting. Uh, they're walking into synagogues and, and churches just shooting people. They have no, no sense of what is sacred. Uh, they mock the word. They mock Christ. They have no sense. They, they've lost their sense of, see, to me, there is the natural and there is the sacred. There are things that you should treat extra carefully and with highest of respect because it's sacred. It's, it's attached to God. Okay, so th- yeah, this, this building, it's just, you know, metal, stone, tile. But because of what it's used for, to me, it's not just a normal building. Now, there, you know, the building's not going to save you. But I'm saying there, there should be a respect when people gather together and God is going to be present. Okay, but that sense of sacred. Th- this is why Jesus they will stomp on and despise what is precious to God. That's why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because what will they do? They will trample them under their feet and turn and trample you. In other words, they have no respect for the precious, sacred things in your life. Okay? The ungodly cannot appreciate the value of what is of God. They'll they'll abuse it. Because they have no sense of what is sacred. I didn't when I was lost. The person of Christ, the truth of Scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit, the blood-bought church, all those things are sacred. That that Bible is sacred to me. There's not another book on the planet that I consider anywhere near that Bible. That Bible is sacred to me. Okay? I treat that that Bible, I, I open up that Bible every single day and I say, God... Thank you for the Holy Word, because nothing is going to wash my mind. Nothing is going to change my life. Nothing is going to build my faith. Nothing is going to teach me the truth about God and all things that matter, like the Bible, because it is the God-breathed Word. So it's sacred to me, right? So here's what's going to happen, like a dreaded movie they don't want to see. Jesus will bring before their, the eyes of the apostates a replay of all of their ungodly deeds, ungodly decisions, and all the things they said against him. It'll be played back in living technicolor. All the harsh things they spoke about Christ, which is happening more and more and more and more in our mass media. Sacred things, holy things, Christ himself routinely mocked and maligned. I'm seeing it more and more. In 2007, one so-called comedian, a woman, received an Emmy Award, made a vile, blasphemous reference to Jesus Christ, cursed him on national television, and then held up the Emmy statue and said the Amy statue was her God. That just, that's exactly what happened. Rather than howling in protest, the Emmy audience laughed and applauded. Not me. You mock Christ, and I'm going to, listen, I'm going to pray for you if you mock Christ. Because if you don't repent... He's going to come back one day and you're going to answer for the harsh things you spoke about him. 
And if he hadn't saved me, I would have done the same thing. But thank God for amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. We're about to close. I know this is sobering, but, but this is the truth. Why do we preach the gospel all the time? This is why. Because there's a day of judgment coming. And it's going to be ferocious. Jude sums up the disgust and revulsion at the words and deeds of the apostates. He says in verse 16, they are grumblers, they are complainers, and they walk according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to get their advantage. Grumblers is about those expressing discontent. They grumble in secret against Christ. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Complainers are those who constantly gripe about their lot in life. That's a complainer. Their tongue is like acid, eating away at their possibilities of being content. They, they complain. They complain all the time. That buried the wilderness wanderers complaining. Their walk or their lifestyle is aimed at fulfilling their own lust. They live to gratify their lower nature. That's what they live for. Now, Jude is telling us this. This isn't me. Jude is telling us this. They talk big, great swelling words, but in truth, they undermine all sound teaching. Their goal is to gain the admiration of others. They want to be somebody. It's all about them, not Christ. That's why you want to know somebody's really preaching the word of God. If, if you're listening to somebody and all you hear about is, is me, myself, and I, and they're only talking about themselves all the time, look for the exit door. Because somebody preaching the word is going to preach the word. And they're going to preach Christ. And they're going to lift him up. And, and, and uh, even to their own hurt. Jude is finished with his impassioned exposure of apostasy in the church. And next time... He's going to turn his attention to you and me, and it begins with these words. But you, beloved, he said, I've said all this about the apostates, but now let me talk to you, beloved, because I wasn't talking about the beloved of Jesus, the bride of Christ, when I was talking about them. Let's stand. Amen, amen, amen. 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 What the church needs to be preaching hard and heavy, uh, seriously, is that there's a judgment coming. The fear of God, uh, the fear of God is gone. It's just, where is it? You, yeah. <laughs> but you, beloved, right? But out there in that culture, there's no fear of God. And so we need to be preaching things like there's a judgment coming. And anybody that has not repented is going to answer to God. And, and, and you, better, you better repent now. Well, where do you ever hear that anymore? First word out of Jesus' mouth when he started his ministry. First word out of his mouth was repent. First word out of John the Baptist's mouth was repent. First word out of Peter when they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Where's it gone? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we're in dark and troubled times. We're in a time when apostasy is on the rise. 
And people are walking away from the genuine faith that is in Jesus Christ. And they're going to doctrines of demons, being deceived, deluded, seduced, destroyed, ruined. And so, Lord, we just ask you to help us tonight. Lord, we humble ourselves in front of you. And we ask you to help us tonight to take the genuine, real gospel far and wide, near and far. Because truly, Lord, the time is short. We ask you to help us to see many, many, many people saved. If that's your prayer, just lift your hand and say, Lord, let it be. And let me be a part of it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Let's give him a hand of praise, can we?